Okay, I'm glad you guys are here. We're, uh, today is a special day. It's Lagba Omer. And we're also heading toward uh, the great holiday of Shavuos, which is the giving of the Torah at Mount Sinai. And, uh, and there's a lot going on. There's a lot going on. So I want to talk about all these different things. And um, let me begin by just uh, mentioning something very cool. I think from the B'nai Asaskar, one of the great uh, Hasidic masters, also known as the Dinover Rebbe. And, uh, and he points out something very cool in the calendar, which is that we've got uh, this whole period leading up to the giving of the Torah at Mount Sinai. So we count 49 days, and then the 50th day is, is the holiday of Shavuos, is, is where we're at Mount Sinai, we get the Torah. So, um, so that's an amazing thing. Actually, it's a whole subject in and of itself, why it is that we make a blessing over the counting of every single day, but we don't count the 50th day. You know, you would think that if you only made one blessing, you would make it on the 50th day. But we don't count the 50th day at all. Um, we count 49 days, and then, like we say, the 50th day is the holiday itself. But it's, it's really two questions. One, why don't you make a blessing on the 50th day? And two, if you were only to count one day, it should be a blessing on the 50th day. So, actually, the truth is, you do make a blessing on the 50th day, but it's not the counting of the Yomer, it's a Shechianu, because it's the holiday itself. But that's getting a little more technical. Anyway, that is an illustration. The fact that we don't count the 50th day, it's one of many, many illustrations that the Torah is beyond time. In other words, if you, if you, if you say it's on the 50th day and you just bless that day itself... You're limiting the dwelling place, so to speak, of the Torah to, the, to, to one day. Even in the giving, because the giving of the Torah is constant. In fact, the blessing over the giving of the Torah is in the present tense. It's not, blessed are you, Hashem, God, who gave us the Torah, past tense. It's, notena Torah, it's present tense, it's constantly going on. And there are many, many illustrations of this. One more, just while we're on the subject, is that um, the other... Big holidays in the Torah, all in the Torah itself, says the date that we celebrate the Torah. I mean, the date that we celebrate the holiday. But when it comes to the giving of the Torah, it doesn't give you a date on the calendar. It says, count 50 days from Pesach. In other words, the Torah goes so far that it doesn't even want to give you a date that it was given. It says, count 50 days from Pesach. In other words, this is yet another illustration that the Torah is so infinite, it's so huge, that in every aspect, in every description, they don't want to target the time or anything like that. Because, because it's every single moment. It's every single moment. Okay, so within the count itself, you see something very cool. So again, this is the B'nai Sasfer. He says when you get to... 49 can be divided up into two numbers, 32 and 17. So yesterday was the 32nd day of the Omer. Today is the 33rd day of the Omer, which is Lagba Omer, the yurt site of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, the revealer of the secrets of Torah, the author of the Zohar, one of the greatest neshamas ever to exist. So anyway, 32 plus 17 equals 49, right? So 32 is the gematria of the word lev, which means heart, and 17 is the gematria of the word tov, so, a good heart, right? That's what it's about. A good heart. And interestingly, interestingly, it says in Pirkei Avos, that a good heart, if a person has a good heart, this encompasses all the other great mitos. If you have a good heart, you have a good eye. You know, I thought of a level within this. 
You know, it says that a lot of times we think it says, it says in, in the Shema something very interesting. The third paragraph of the Shema, when it's talking about tzitzis, it says, don't, um, um, don't stray after what you see. Right? Don't go after your eyes and your heart. Actually, it says, don't go after your heart and your eyes. Sorry, we're getting a little mixed up here. I wish I had a sitter in front of me. Okay, the main thing is it says, don't go after your heart and don't go after your eyes. Okay? But the rabbi's comment, it says, the eye sees and the heart desires. You follow? You see a, a billboard, right? And your eye sees and then your heart desires. Makes sense, right? But, if you actually look at the way it's written in the Torah, it says, don't stray after your heart or your eyes. And so I heard, I wish I could tell you who said it, that if the heart doesn't desire, the eye doesn't see. Do you understand? If the heart doesn't desire, the eye doesn't see. You know, I gave, uh, I was discussing this a while back, I gave this as an example. Sometimes, and I, I don't hear this as much with men, I think more with women, like they'll, maybe uh, you'll say, maybe say to your wife or something like that, I saw so-and-so was at the party, or maybe her name will come up, she was at the party, and your wife might ask, what was she wearing? Right? The answer is, I don't know. (laughs) That is the answer. Because if the heart doesn't desire, the eye doesn't see. (laughs) Okay? So, 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 the reason why I'm bringing this out is because it says in the Mishnah in Pirkei Avos that if you have a good heart, that includes other great qualities. It includes a good eye. You see, this is a proof that if you have a good heart, you have a good eye. Because, because it starts with the heart, and then it goes to the eye. So it works in the opposite way, too. If you have a good heart, then you have a good eye. It's not just in terms of, you know, the heart desires, it's lacking something, so the eye sees something that it wants. It works in the opposite, very positive way as well. If you have a good heart, then you see goodness all around you. Okay? But anyway, so we're on the 33rd day of the Omer right now. So, so the 32nd day, 32 and 17, that's Lev and Tov, that's the intersection of good and heart, right? i say something, I think maybe furthering this point, maybe even a little bit deeper. Someone came up to me, I, I was sharing this thought, someone came up to me afterwards and says, Ask me, how do you have a good heart? Right? So, you know, the Sphira day is pretty interesting that the 32nd day of the Omer, which again stands for heart, it's the gematria of Lev, Lamed Vez, that's 30 plus 2, 32. The, the Sphira day that it correlates with is Netzach Shebahod. So, each of the Sphira days correlates with a different Torah personality. Okay? Chesed is Abraham, Gvor is Yitzchak, Teferd is Yaakov, Netzach is Moshe, Hod is Aaron, Yesod is Yosef, and Malchus is David, King David. So, 
So, you know, I was on an airplane a couple weeks ago, and I woke up with this thought. It was like, kind of surprised me. Like, the thought was that every single sphere a day can be presented as a different personality. So it's a whole other way to go through the sphere. In other words, Netzach Shebahod, another way to say that is the quality of Moshe which exists in Aaron. And then you can try to explain it like that. What is the Moshe that exists within Aaron? Okay? You know, I sort of freaked out a friend of mine a few days ago. It was, the day was uh, Teferet Shabahod. So that's the, that's the Yaakov within the Aaron. So I know someone named Aaron Yaakov. So I called him up, I said, it's your day. He's like, what? Did you figure that out? <laughs> so, and my name also, I'm looking forward to this. My name is David Yitzchak. So that's, that's Gavor Sheba Machus. Right? That's the 44th day of the Sphira. So I have a Sphira day. So I'm happy about that, I realize, you know. And then you want to hear something cool? I was actually happy about this too. I was engaged on the 49th day of the, of the Omer. That's Machus Sheba Machus. And, um, or you want to say it the other way, the David within the David. My name is David. And I was thinking when Adam was made, how did they make Chava? How did they make his wife? They took out a piece of Adam from Adam. You hear? And they made his wife. So we got engaged on the David within the David. Right? I told that to my wife. She wasn't as thrilled. <laughs> I thought it was pretty cool. But anyway, so it goes. You know, <laughs> It's hard to be excited when you don't hear your name. <laughs> but anyway, that's, I guess, human nature. So, so, uh, so getting back to this notion, how do you have a good heart? So it's this idea of Netzach Shabahod. The heart, right? The Aaron within, or rather the Moshe within the Aaron. Netzach is Moshe, Hod is Aaron. So Netzach Shabahod, which is the 32nd day of the Omer, which is heart, is the Moshe within the Aaron. Okay, so I want to explain it in the following way. I want to say that Moshe is the mind and Aaron is the heart. So, Moshe being the mind, that makes sense because he's the head. He's the one who got the Torah, the tablets on the top of Mount Sinai. He's the leader. The head is on top. Makes sense. That's, that's, that's clear that Moshe is the head. How is Aaron the heart? So, I have a few different ways of explaining it. One is the fact that... Uh, when, all of Israel, when, when Aaron died, all of Israel grieved for him. They didn't stop grieving him. They cried and they cried for Aaron. In other words, he... And he made peace between people. There was a lot of emotion surrounding him. Not only that, but God says, write the luchos, write the tablets, like you should, you should, you should inscribe it on your heart. Where were the luchos kept, which have to be inscribed on your heart? In the Aaron, right? In the ark. 
Not only that, but he made the golden calf. I mean, he was so in touch with the needs of the Jewish people. Okay, he wasn't participating in idol worship. He was trying to avoid it. But nonetheless, you see that he's really, he's really connected to the heart. And he's, and he's the master of peace. He's the master of peace. He's making, he was the road of Shalom. He was the one who was running after peace all the time. So I want to say Moshe is the mind and Aaron is the heart. So what is the definition of heart according to Torah? If we're saying that the 32nd day of the Omer, Lamed Vez, Lev is heart, what is heart? It is the mind within the heart. In other words, it's Netzach Shebahod. It's the Moshe within the Aaron. In other words, we don't prize in Torah. We don't value pure emotion. Pure emotion is like, it's very problematic. With pure emotion, you do crazy, impulsive things. With pure intellect, you also do crazy things. The Nazis had pure intellect. They go, oh, there's a people. This people should be eliminated from humanity. That will help things. All right, we'll wipe them out. We'll lead by the hand children into gas chambers. This is pure intellect. You can't have either. You need the hold within the Netzach, which is the 22nd day of the sphere account, and you need the Netzach within the hold. You need the heart within the mind, and you need the mind within the heart. And I thought, what do those two things add up together? If you have the Netzach in the hold and the hold in the Netzach, what do those two days add up together? So we said one is 32, the other is 22. Okay? That adds up to 54, which adds up to 9, which is the misparkatan of Ennis, of truth. In other words, when you have the mind within the heart and the heart within the mind, and you combine these two things, you get truth, you get Ennis. So this is what we have to strive for. And I'll tell you something else. It will be, you have to just kind of picture this. Not everybody knows the proper halachic way to wash their hands. Alright? I'm talking about washing for bread right now. So, so here's what you do. Okay? There's a step that many people miss. You fill up the washing cup. Okay. Now you pick up the washing cup with your right hand. Then you pass it to your left hand. Okay? Now you wash your right hand first. Right? Two or three times, depending on your custom. And then, you pass it to your right hand, and you wash your left hand with the water. Okay? But the, most people, what they do, or many people, what they do, is they just know that they wash the right hand first, and then their left hand first. And what they miss is this first step, where you pick up the washing cup with your right hand, and you pass it to your left hand. And then you begin the washing process. Now, the way it was explained to me by Rav was very, very beautiful. He said like this, We know that the right side stands for chesed, kindness. The left side stands for gevura, which is like judgment, din. Okay? So if we just begin the washing process with the left side washing the right side, right? That means we're starting with Din. We're starting with judgment. 
The cleansing process is coming from a place of judgment. If you just do it that way. Right? That means you're not doing X and you're not doing Y. And by the way, the person might not be doing X and might not be doing Y. Right? But it's coming from like a very strong place of cleansing. Right? All right. That's one way to do it. It usually frightens and scares people away. Because <laughs> who wants to be yelled at, right? But now listen to this. If you're picking it up with your right hand, which is what we're supposed to do, this is the halacha, we pick it up, the washing cup with our right hand, and then we pass it to our left hand, what is that? That is, that is the, that's gvor shabachesed. That is the judgment within the kindness. In other words, it's coming from a place of kindness. The whole approach is coming from kindness and coming from love, but it's just a more focused aspect of it because you're trying to share it and you're trying to pinpoint something lacking in another person. That's coming from the Gevorah, but it's under the umbrella of Chesed, under the umbrella of love. So we pick it up with our right hand and then pass it to our left hand. So the whole left energy is under the umbrella of the right energy. The whole gvor, the whole din, strictness, is just an application of the love, of the chesed. Okay. So now we see that heart, heart, is the Moshe within the Aaron. It's the balance of the heart and the mind, because the heart and the mind have to go together. It's my reading of the Ramban, by the way, that what happened at the eating of the tree of knowledge was that basically the heart and the mind got separated. If you look at his account of the description of the eating of the tree of knowledge, the heart and the mind got separated. That's where it happened. And basically all of humanity, all of human history is trying to put together the heart and the mind and keeping them together. That's what it's all about. Can't just be pure emotion and can't be pure intellect. The two have to be fused together. Okay. So now I was thinking and I was remembering. I hadn't thought about it in a long time. So, like we said, this is Lagba Omer. This is the yurt site of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. So, you know something? Um, I, I don't remember how many times I ever got a phone call from Rabbi Shlomo Karlovach. Just He just called me. I don't know how many times it happened. Maybe it happened twice. Maybe it only happened once. I don't know. But, but if it happened once, this was the time. And it was the last time that I ever spoke with him, actually. Before he left this world. And uh, he called. Called me up. And, uh, and he told me a story about Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. And this was the, this was the story that he told Says that it says in the Gomorrah that uh, Rabbi Shimon was walking down a road one time and he heard someone yell, Shimon, Shimon. And um, he knew that it was Hashem calling to him. And the other, I guess the other sages or whoever he shared this with, didn't like that. They felt like, you know... Like he's bragging on some level that Hashem is calling his name, especially we know in the Torah, if, whenever Hashem calls someone's name two times, Abraham, Abraham, 
right? Or Yaakov, Yaakov, or Moshe, Moshe. This is always coming at a very great spiritual moment for a person, like a climactic moment. In fact, the way I heard it explained, I think by the Chida, I'm not positive that when, when Hashem yells, Abraham, Abraham, or when the angel speaks it out on behalf of Hashem, it's Hashem speaking, but that was the agency, that that meant that, that the Abraham in this world, the Abraham below, had become equal with the Abraham above. In other words, he had equaled his potential. That's what Abraham, Abraham meant. So it's, it's really a, an exalted status to have your name mentioned twice. So it's not just he's saying, Hashem called out my name, but Shimon, Shimon, right? That's really something. Anyway, he said, I think he said it in the name of the Rishina Rebbe. It's been so many years since I thought of this. He said, no, it's the opposite. It wasn't a sign of bragging at all. It was the opposite. It was the opposite. Because what Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai was trying to say was that, you know, to everyone here, I'm this great sage. But Hashem knows who I really am. I'm just Shimon. So he just called me Shimon. You know? Anyway. I remember one other thing about that conversation, but I couldn't reconstruct it. Hashem was talking about the curtain on top of the Holy of Holies. Rabbi Shlomo was. And I, I don't remember the point that he was making. But... Um, but anyway, that's the last time uh, that's the last time we ever spoke. So, so I want to share something with you. It's a new thought. It's a new thought for me, and maybe I can just preface it for a moment. This is not to build up your expectations about the thought, but it's just something that occurs to me about studying Torah, and I just want to share it with you. Never stop studying Torah. Never stop. Never stop. And let me tell you why. Because, well, for many reasons, but, but here's just one point in it that occurs to me. You see, if you learn Torah, maybe you'll learn a Pasuk, and you'll see, oh, that's what that Pasuk means, or you'll hear a very interesting idea connected to this Pasuk, and everything like this, or you'll see that there's a key word in this Pasuk, and it's spelled this way and not that way for a very specific reason. Or the gematria of this phrase or this word opens up gates and everything like this. So, in other words, you're, you're very focused on a word or you'll learn something about a holiday. Oh, I didn't know Shavuos stands for that also. Wow! So now you've learned something about Shavuos. But the thing is, is that the more you learn and the longer period that you learn, you begin to sort of get like, a, um, like satellite pictures of the Torah. In other words, like Oh, all these concepts actually are one concept, which you, which you only get over a period of time. In other words, you, you've got this concept and this concept and this concept, but you don't realize that, that that one and that one and that one all are one concept, and that this is what it's saying. Oh, this is what it is. This is what it is. Because there's such an ocean of information. So the patterns only become clear over prolonged, prolonged Torah study. And then the irony is, is that then when you express them, the person who hears it goes, oh, okay. They, hear like, they feel like, oh, they just heard another idea, but they don't realize that idea, that idea is a product of decades sometimes of learning. You know, there is a, I, I, I saw a link to a, a video 
And so, um, and, and the, the person was being very sort of snarky about this speech because the speech was done in sort of like this very convoluted double talk, right? And uh, so I decided I'm going to watch this speech or part of it anyway. And the person who was speaking was really talking in these very, very complicated terms that, that were borderline nonsensical. But I, you know, I thought about what he was trying to say and I, I, it seemed like he was saying some fairly simple things, but he was just saying them in, in, in like, in like a, a very, an unnecessarily difficult way of, 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 of expressing it. Let's just put it that way. And it reminded me of a story that I read about a, a very great rabbi. And part of the aspect of this great rabbi was that he was able to take incredibly complicated things and make them very, very understandable. Right? And he was trying to get a job in like a, a big community. And he gave the speech in this community. And he was a substantially greater Torah scholar than the person, the previous person who had had the job, okay? But the members of the congregation in the community didn't give this rabbi the job. It's a true story, by the way, but I don't remember the names. And, they, and when they asked, someone asked, why didn't he get the job? Because it seemed like, you know, he should get the job. He's a very great rabbi. And they said, oh, because, um, I don't know, he, he just uh, didn't seem... As, 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 as smart as our previous rabbi. Now, remember, the previous rabbi, he was substantially greater than the previous rabbi, okay? So they said, he didn't seem as smart as our previous rabbi, because when our previous rabbi spoke, we had no idea what he was talking about. It's, you know, it's kind of funny. It's kind of funny... Very true. And so I was reminded when I was watching this person's speech, which was so, which was nearly impossible to understand, I remembered this story, even though this was a totally business related thing. It was not, this, this person was not uh, giving a speech about Torah at all. He was talking about business, the business world. Um, and I realized, you know what it is? When someone talks in a way that's incomprehensible, what it conveys is he knows something so great. He knows something so great and we can't even comprehend what this person already knows. In other words, not only don't we understand what he's saying right now, but we are now in tune with levels of knowledge that he has that we also can't understand. We can't understand what he knows what he's saying right now and all the vast storehouses that he has in his head, we can't possibly understand those things either. How great this person is! You know, I, I once had a conversation with my, with my sister-in-law. She's a, a, a descendant of the Kutzka Rebbe. The Kutzka Rebbe was famous for um, many things actually, but for his ability to put in one or two lines massive, massive concepts. In fact, there's a story told about him that toward the end of his life, 
he was trying to put every single thing that he knew on a single piece of paper. Like to condense it. I mean, now you have to understand this person knew the entire Torah. The entire Torah and beyond. And he tried, it's said about him, that he tried to put it all on one sheet of paper. And he was not successful. He was not successful. He, he wasn't able to do it. So, so I heard that there was a thought that the Ari, the great Kabbalist, the Ari had a thought that if he was able, if he, was, if he had tried to say it over, it would have taken him something like 60 or 70 years to say over this one thought. <laughs> right? Now that, that's an amazing, that's an amazing just concept in itself. So I shared this with this person, and she said to me back, the Kutzka Rebbe could have said it very simply. And now, but this is the Ari. 60 or 70 years it would have taken him to express this one thought. And she said, no, he could have said it. The Kutzka Rebbe could have said it very simply. So, I don't know. I'm just relating a conversation to you. <laughs> but, but, what I'm trying to express to you is that if the speaker himself doesn't understand the concept, oftentimes it will, you won't understand it either. And don't be fooled into thinking that the reason why you don't understand it is because the speaker himself is so great. <laughs> because one should be able to communicate something if you know what it means. Okay? Um, so, anyway, this is a very sort of uh, winding preface with just something that I wanted to share with you which kind of came to me as a kind of a big thought this morning, actually. So, so it goes like this. We're coming up on the holiday of Shavuos, the giving of the Torah. And we have something else which sounds like a totally different idea, but hopefully I'm going to show you it's the same idea, which is the destruction of the Beis HaMikdash. Now, I heard from Reb Shlomo that the Medrash says that before the Beis HaMikdash was destroyed, and you have to picture this, it's such a, such a heartbreaking scene. The Beis HaMikdash is on fire, right? And that the Kahanim ran up to the roof, basically, and they took the keys to the Beis HaMikdash and they threw them up into the air. And a hand, Kaviyocho, you know, so to speak, this is the language of the Medrash, a hand came and scooped the keys and just brought them back up to heaven. Right? Obviously, God doesn't have a form or a body, but this was the, the language of the Medrash. So, so Reb Shlomo said that when the Beis HaMikdash was destroyed, it's not just that Kedusha left, but that the concept of Kedusha left. The concept of holiness. It's not just that holiness left. The concept of holiness left. See, this is, that, this is a very deep exile that we're in. 
You see, it's one thing when you do wrong, but you know you did wrong. But what happens when you did wrong and you don't even know that you did wrong? That's, 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 that's deep. That's deep exile. That's deep exile. Because how can you fix something if you don't know you did something wrong? So, how is this connecting to Shavuos and getting the Torah at Mount Sinai and everything like that? It sounds like, why are you talking about Tishabov now? Like, what's, what's going on, you know? So, one more bit of background and then we can get to the, the point. In talking about the destruction of the base of Migdash, it says that Hashem says, if only they had abandoned me, but not my Torah. In other words, in other words, if a person clings to Torah, they will get to the truth. It may take them a period of time, but they will get to the truth. And they will be able to fix the world and they'll fix their lives and everything like that. If they hold on to the Torah. But if they bat away the Torah, then even if they're holding on to God, so to speak, then it's, it's much harder. So God says, if only they had held on to my Torah and put me to the side, it would have ultimately have worked out for the good. Okay. So now... Now let's get to the point. The Ramban says that the Mishkan, which was basically the first base of Migdash, it's the prototype, the archetype of the base of Migdash, what was the Mishkan? The Mishkan was an ongoing reenactment of the giving of the Torah at Mount Sinai. What does that mean? That that's the Lukos, the tablets were in the Holy of Holies, you had all of these miracles going on by the Mishkan all of the time. It was a recreation, a re-experiencing of the awesomeness of receiving the Torah at Mount Sinai. That's what the, that's what the Mishkan was, and by extension, what the Beis HaMikdash was. Ah, so with that key, let's figure out what it means that the Beis HaMikdash was destroyed. That means that our ongoing experience of the giving of the Torah at Mount Sinai disappeared. And what does it say? Better that they should have batted me away, but held on to my Torah. In other words, the first step is to hold on to the Torah. That is the key. That's the key. That's the giving of the Torah at Mount Sinai. That's what the Mishkan was. That's what the Beis HaMikdash was. So when it was destroyed... What left the world was this ability to re-experience the giving of the Torah. Which leads to all exile. So it shows you how central it is. Now there are six things that we're supposed to remember every single day. One of them is the giving of the Torah at Mount Sinai. So what happened at Mount Sinai? Heaven came down. It became fused to earth. And the structure of the universe was revealed. Because it says God looked into the Torah and then he made the world. So all the mitzvahs, these are the building blocks of the world. 
That's what became revealed at Mount Sinai. So, just tell you one more thing. I was fortunate enough. Actually, I'll tell you something, just because it's kind of crazy. I was I was at the kever of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai not so long ago. It was uh, what? It was last December. Um, and the reason why it sort of was so striking to me is because I wasn't staying nearby. I was staying in Jerusalem, and it's several hours away by car. Although I hear that they're building a high-speed train that's going to connect all of Israel, like the top to the bottom. It's going to transform Israel. I mean, all of Israel is going to be, because it's not a big country, it's a very small country. But you have to drive and this and that. Can you imagine if there's a high-speed train connecting the top to the bottom? All of Israel is going to be at your fingertips. It's going to be incredible. It's going to be incredible. I'm sure there's something Geula related to that. Like the redemption somehow, like it's going to bring even Israel closer together. It's going to be a very phenomenal event when it happens. So, anyway, you know, I was, I was driving... And, and I was driving, and um, the driver got lost. And so we're just driving. We weren't going to the kever of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. I guess my point is, is that if you're at the kever of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, it's because you were going to the kever of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. Is that, is that a fair statement? Okay. So we weren't going there. And we got lost, and all of a sudden I see a sign, and the sign goes, there's the kever of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. Like, it's right there. So we're like, oh, well, we're here. (laughs) So we got out of the car and went, you know. Uh, That was the last time. And uh, before then, I don't know if I'm going to be able to communicate what this meant to me, but I'll just tell you the story. It may not come across, but... Just give me the benefit of the doubt with this one. It was, um, I was there on Lag Bomer and it was, it was nighttime and there were these two guys who were wearing these like sort of Yerushalmi uh, long silk striped robes and one of them had like this big fur Russian hat on, you know, with ear flaps and they both had electric guitars, or maybe one had an electric guitar and the other one had a drum set, I'm not sure. And they had like a little speaker, like a, for the electric guitar that was about the size of a, you know, a large grapefruit. You know, it was like really small and staticky. And they were playing this awesome music, this awesome groove, you know? And it just was... And I started dancing with someone... And we were holding hands and we were dancing. And my eyes were closed. And I was dancing with this person for what felt like a really long time. And this music was incredible and it was Lagba Omer at the Kever. It was just magical. And I opened up my eyes and I saw this person that I was dancing with had Down syndrome. 
And, you know, not that that's such a big deal, but I just didn't know. I just didn't know. And, you know, the inside, the inside of the inside. How connected we all are on the inside. And it seemed to me that was so much what this, what Lag Baomer, what the Zohar, what it's all about is just, you know, all these garments, all these outside things. They're helpful on some level. And on some level, it's just a big distraction.